I'm Father Harry Dean with the Diocese of Austin, serving in the Restorative Justice Ministry. With me today is Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, our Pastoral Care Coordinator for the Gatesville Region in Restorative Justice Ministry, and the Director of Counseling for Catholic Charities of Central Texas, Renee Brown. We're continuing our series on speaking about parenting from prison or distance parenting under any circumstances and the grounding of all that in a good mental health and how to recognize when our mental health has been compromised, what we can do about it, and how that all folds into uh, being a good parent. Today, we're going to talk specifically about trauma. Renee, what is trauma? So trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event or an accident. And it could be uh, rape. It could be like if we think about uh, 9-11, those are very traumatic events. Um, It's a little strange, but I, I find that there are other things that can be traumatic depending upon the person. To me, it's kind of like we put trauma in a box. So rape is traumatic. Um, Disasters can be traumatic if you're involved in them. Um, People in military that have seen combat often experience trauma. But to me, there's some other little things that could be trauma. We could both be in a car accident, but for me, it may be a more traumatizing event, maybe compared to somebody else. And so trauma isn't just limited to rape Uh, these disasters or combat. I think there are other pieces that sometimes can be traumatic for people. Um, Typically, when trauma is affecting you, you may experience flashbacks. Flashbacks are little pictures in your brain. So if you were in combat or If you were raped, you may experience when you're feeling stressed, you may experience a flashback. And it will. It looks just like a snapshot happening in front of your eyes. It will take you back to that situation. Um, Sometimes you may experience things in dreams that are somewhat distressing that can be related to trauma. Um, There can also be nausea. You may have headaches. So, Trauma can have actually some like side effects, you know, some after effects, so to speak. Would night terrors be Mm -hmm. a symptom of trauma as well? Yes. And is that different than having disturbing dreams? Um, Night terrors, typically the way that they've been described to me by clients are very intense where you feel like you are there. Like this really happened. People wake up from a night terror Uh, in distress. So they're in distress. They don't feel safe usually. um, And it feels very real to them. Um, So there is that difference in a not terror as composed to me uh, in comparison to a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Renee, can you help us uh, better understand how does childhood trauma differ from adult trauma? So, There's some similarities. So in the whole piece of like survive, you know, surviving disasters, you know, children can be in disasters as well. Um, Children are often molested and raped. So there are those significant pieces where it's the similar types of trauma. But for children, trauma can differ somewhat in that it can be how 
children witness events, or it can be something that directly happened to a child. So for example, children who grow up in a household where there's domestic violence, that is a traumatizing experience for that child because they are actually witnessing violence happening in front of them. And they're witnessing violence to a loved one. And typically it's mothers that are being abused, right? Now, this is not always. We do have men that are, are abused as well. There are domestic violence cases like that. So if you can imagine this small child is watching, you know, maybe their father, their stepfather, you know, physically abusing their mother. And that leaves an imprint on the mind. Um, It could also be um, physical abuse. If children are being physically abused, that can be traumatic. Um, And sexual abuse, of course, is traumatic. Um, Witnessing violence in the community, um, that can also create trauma for children. So if children are growing up in an area um, where there's a lot of civil unrest and there's fighting, um, then that can also create trauma for children. Then for adults, the, the um, a little bit of the differences there. What were the differences for adults again? Did I miss that? Mm-hmm. No, I think that the differences for adults are in that children often experience trauma visually, where maybe more of what's happening to adults is happening to them physically. So thank you. That's probably a better clarification. And with children, it can happen physically, too. With trauma, and and this isn't part of our questions, but it just comes to mind, Mm -hmm. when you are the one that perpetrated the trauma, is there a backlash effect as you process that, as you move away over time from being the person that was capable of perpetrating trauma, trying to become now that better person, closer to God, Mm -hmm. more in, in the person and likeness of Jesus Christ, obviously not into trauma, And yet, in reckoning with the trauma that I have produced in the lives of other people, does that have effects on the person who who has actually perpetrated the trauma? Oh, I would think so. You know, if you've been a perpetrator of trauma, hurting people, and now you're trying to become, you know, a better human being, so to speak, absolutely, you're, you're going to experience a variety of maybe some of the feelings that we talked about in our other segments, such as guilt, you know, um, shame, maybe even feeling overwhelmed and frustrated with yourself because you know you committed some of these traumatizing experiences for someone else. There there can be tremendous guilt that's going to go along with that or shame that will go along with that. Absolutely. And so that would be something that while you're, um, you would definitely need to work on those feelings for sure. What uh, What does it mean to be parentified? So parentified means that you have been forced to become a parent, but you're a child. So parentification happens when a child is forced to take on the role of an adult. Um, many children get pushed into this position of being a caretaker. And so this is an important topic because this can 
uh, be prevalent among people who are incarcerated or probably in a situation where they maybe have been parentified or your child may be feeling this right now as we talk about distance parenting too. So there's kind of two lenses to look at parentification through your own childhood growing up and what your child may be experiencing right now as you're incarcerated. Um, So in a caretaker role, a child may have more than the usual responsibilities. Like we often give children chores, you know, clean up your room or help clean up the living room. But this is going to be different. This is like this child is cooking meals. This child is doing laundry. Maybe this child is responsible for the other children in the family, helping them with homework, um, maybe helping them to get ready for bed. So in essence, it's like a child has become a parent. The challenge in this is sometimes when you've been in a parenting role as a kid, you don't know how to be a kid. And it can create create mixed messages for children. Like, how do I balance being a parent that I'm not supposed to be and, and being a kid that I should be? Um, the interesting thing is, is if you're an incarcerated person and you feel like you were parentified, then you would need to do what we call inner child work, which is kind of interesting. But hang on one second, because this is how um, I had a list that I wanted to be able to kind of go through so that you can know if you were parentified. And so if you grew up feeling like you had to be responsible for everything, and this is this is beyond basic child responsibilities. Like as a child, my responsibility was to clean my room, go to school, do my homework, be nice to my sisters, and maybe help out my mom a little bit, right? But this is beyond that. This is what we talked about a few seconds ago, where you're helping with laundry, you're getting kids ready for school, you might be making breakfast and dinner for your siblings. Um, It could be trouble with um, letting loose. Maybe as a kid, you didn't know how to just let loose and have fun like other kids know how to do. Um, Maybe you feel like you had to be in control all the time. Uh, Children who've been parentified feel like they have to be in control all of the time. Um, Maybe you get pulled into arguments. That's part of being parentified, too, is that you're pulled into these arguments with parents. Um, I had a client that I was working with. uh, um, She's like 14 or 15 years old. And she experienced a lot of trauma growing up. And one of the things that would happen is... Her father was an alcoholic, and mom wouldn't want him to leave. And mom, of course, couldn't get him to leave, you know, like couldn't get him to stay, rather. And dad would want to go out, but he's been drinking or whatever. So she would ask her daughter, who was like six, well, tell your dad not to go because then he won't go because you're telling him. So she was being brought into the middle of this parent situation, and she's six. And our work when she was coming in for counseling at 14 is she was having trouble getting past that. Like, why was I put in this situation? I wasn't an adult. I was six. And then she would be hurt because she couldn't get dad to stay. And then she felt like it was her responsibility and it was her fault that her dad went out, even though he'd been drinking. Right. So that's what that piece can look like. Um, Maybe you felt like you were given responsibilities that were not appropriate for your age. Um, You know, if you're seven and you're responsible for getting your siblings their breakfast and getting them dressed for school, that may not be age appropriate. Um, Also, um, 
if if a child hears a lot of compliments, like you're so good, you're really responsible, that can be an indicator too that they're maybe being parentified. You know, um, if they automatically do things, we've we've had a situation lately with my grandson because it's a blended kind of family thing, and he was in the car with me the other day, and my daughter has a new baby, and he just immediately handed her bottle. And I've noticed this pattern of him just automatically doing things. And I thought, well, this is strange because we don't ask him to do this, right? But in his other family, his dad's side, it's an expectation that he will be doing these things. So there's some parentification, you know, going on there. Um, You may feel like it's better to be self-reliant than trusting other people. You know, I can count on me. I'm going to be self-reliant. Maybe... Right now, as an incarcerated person, you may not remember being a kid because you may have had to be the adult throughout most of your childhood. I had a client who um, was responsible for herself and four younger siblings from a very young age. Dad was absent from the home. Mom was single. And so my client was responsible for her and her siblings because her mother worked very long hours. So literally at six and seven she is taking care of these younger children as if she's the mother. And so just some very interesting dynamics in her thinking. And, 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 and actually a little grief and loss because she doesn't feel like she got to have a childhood. So it's something to think about. Um, maybe you have a, a heightened sense of empathy. Um, maybe you feel like you always have to be the peacemaker in situations. So these are just some of the things, uh, indicators that maybe a person has been parentified. Renee, in regard to the uh, perpetrator of a trauma mm-hmm. uh, that Father addressed earlier to you, mm-hmm. um, could you uh, go back to that for just a few moments and, sure. and, and talk a little bit about the importance of forgiveness uh, and, then, uh, and then also address the difference between forgiveness and forgetting? You know, it's very interesting because <clears throat> often when clients come in, there is this piece that we have to work on with forgiveness. And it would be very true with a person who has, you know, committed traumatic uh, acts against another person. Um, The practice of self-forgiveness can be very um, challenging. I think part of that probably is working with a counselor that can help you work through all the feelings that you're going to experience And working with clergy as well. Um, Like everything else that we talk about, forgiveness is actually a practice. Um, It's that daily reminder that I can forgive me for what I did. This is the old me. This is the new me. I think that's a very valuable practice for people to have. um, Because when you're working on your mental and emotional health and you're becoming this different person through Christ, you are actually leaving the old you behind and you are becoming the new you, right? And in becoming the new you, you can forgive all these things that you've done in the past. And and the truth is, is if you can't get to this point of forgiveness or if you're not practicing forgiveness, you're going to get stuck, you can't become the new you if you're not forgiving self. And this is a piece, too, where 
it gets a little murky, I think, for people because we open our ears to society and what society says. And society, I think, for the most part, is kind of clueless, right? Society makes so many decisions for us. We let society decide how we're going to dress, how we're going to think, what we're going to eat, what we're going to feel. And so society would say, well, you're an incarcerated person and you've done this, this, and this. You don't deserve forgiveness. So I encourage people to look beyond society and forgive self through the counseling process. Self-forgiveness is fabulous, but also through that through the peace of God is with you, right? God forgives these things. He wants you to be this new person in him. And it's going to be a daily practice. Just like some of these other things that we've talked about, you will have to work on this daily. Because what happens in our brain, little things slip in, little flashbacks, little memories, or, oh man, I did do that. You know, I slapped my kid in the face, right? And that's there. And then you want to Remind yourself immediately before you get sucked in and go down the rabbit hole of every bad thing that you did and how you scarred this person and you've went down the rabbit hole and you can't get out or it's going to take a while, a few hours. Immediately, when that thought comes into your head, you're going to be like, no, I am not that person anymore. I I am in Christ. He is working in me. I'm not that person. I can forgive myself. And then try to, you know, move past it. There's a difference. You, I'm sorry, Dick and Ronnie, you mentioned forgetting. There's a difference in forgetting and forgiving. Forgetting to me says I'm pushing it down. I'm stuffing it down, right? Like we do this with our feelings sometimes. We don't share feelings. We don't acknowledge feelings. We just stuff it away. And with stuffing it away, often there's this forgetfulness. I'll just forget that part. But forgiveness also acknowledges responsibility, too. Like, I have this responsibility to this is what I did. But now, because I'm new in Christ, I am moving forward. I'm He's forgiving me. I'm forgiving me. That is the only way you're going to move forward and be the new you. Absolutely. We're speaking today with Renee Brown, Director of Counseling of Catholic Charities of Central Texas. Uh, with us is Deacon Ronnie Lostavica, our pastoral care coordinator for the Gatesville region for our restorative justice ministry. And I'm Father Harry Dean in the restorative justice ministry, a priest of the Diocese of Austin. Um, Renee, what does the term the body keeps score mean? So there was this uh, a book written a few years ago, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And um, I would love to tell you the name of the author, but I can't say his name. So uh, um, I apologize for that. But it's, it's, it's a fabulous book. And it talks about he did a lot of work with people with the brain um, and just the way that we um, kind of internalize trauma, how it affects the whole body. And so one of the things that we know is that trauma actually leaves an imprint on the body and the mind. Um, if you've been in a traumatizing situation, like if you were raped, um, every sensation that you felt while being raped, your body actually remembers every sensation that you felt. Your brain remembers everything that happened to you in those moments of being raped. 
So what happens is typically if you um, experience something triggering, your body can feel everything that it felt before when you were experiencing a trauma. trauma. Um, it affects the mind. It affects the body. It affects the brain. Mm-hmm. Renee, what is ACEs and how can it help facilitate mental health? So ACEs is um, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, it's This is very interesting. So um, it's a whole set of questions geared at finding, about, uh, finding out information about people's childhoods. Because what they found, and especially they've done some work with incarcerated people, um, is that most persons who are incarcerated have experienced at least one to two adverse child uh, situations, experiences. So an adverse child um, experience could be physical abuse. It could be sexual abuse. um, It could be um, emotional abuse, neglect. It could also look like if you lived in a household where somebody had mental illness that you were living with or divorces and families can even trigger adverse childhood um, experiences. If you grew up in a home where there was substance abuse or if you had an incarcerated parent, all of these can create adverse childhood experiences. What we know about adverse, child, uh, adverse childhood experiences is they often lead people to have mental health concerns. So if you are an incarcerated person and perhaps you're incarcerated because of drug use, then it can be helpful to look back in your childhood and be like, huh, so, well, there was domestic violence in my home, or my parent was an alcoholic, or, you know, maybe somebody that lived in your home did have mental health issues. This could explain your own mental health issues and maybe how you became incarcerated, or even if you're not incarcerated, if you're just, you know, experiencing, like, some really challenging things in life, It could be because of adverse childhood um, experiences. The interesting thing about this as well is they're using this a lot in schools. So, which I think is fabulous because the younger that we can assess kids for mental health, we can start working with them at a younger age through play therapy um, or just general therapy to kind of work on some of these situations so that maybe when this child is 14 or 15, they're not using drugs. Um, I often share, um, uh, you've heard me speak in several segments that my daughter was incarcerated, but my son has been incarcerated as well several times for drug addiction. Most of his is always drug addiction. Drew started using drugs when he was 14, um, and we tried a variety of programs. Nothing was working, but had we have had adverse childhood you know, experiences, these kind of, this information, we might have been able to kind of get him some more um, or just some better help for his mental health, right? So if we went back and looked at my son's childhood, you know, he's a product of divorce and his father is an alcoholic and would sometimes use substances. So right there, he has two of the adverse childhood um, pieces, you know, in his background. Um, and this can be... This can be a tricky thing, right? On the one hand, we don't want people to have excuses for behavior, right? Because we all have free choice of what we do. But 
I like to think of it more as if you understand where something comes from, then you can work with it better. So in other words, is he a drug addict? Yes. Has he been incarcerated because of drugs? Yes. Is it helpful to know his background in childhood? Absolutely. Because what that means is he probably just didn't sign up and say, hey, I'm going to go out there and be a drug addict, right? No, I taught school 23 years. Not one kid ever said to me, when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict, right? They, no parent says, I want my child to be a drug addict or be incarcerated. And so this can be a very helpful tool when we have young children coming into school and maybe they're not learning well, maybe they're having difficulty with behavior. We can look at this you know, administer these questions. It's a very simple tool, actually. And when we determine that this is in their background, we can get them the help that they need. This actually speaks very well to what we're talking about in these segments as well, right? Parents are wanting to know, our incarcerated parents want to know, how do I do distance parenting? This is a great piece to have right here. This tells us already, if you're an incarcerated parent, right, Your child already is experiencing one adverse child experience, which is incarceration. That can mean for that child, you know, it might be very important that they get either some counseling at school or some play therapy or maybe even family therapy. If they have siblings, you know, some family therapy will help as well. So I'm sitting in my bunk and I'm listening to you uh, Mm -hmm. talk about ACEs and um, I realized that indeed... I have several of those for myself, mm-hmm. and then, ah, I also have it for my child as well. So what's the four-part process that, that you recommend for restoring emotional and mental health? So this is just my own, this was my own thing, y'all. This was not from a book. This is not training. Um, so just from my own experience of counseling, um, I was molested by a family member, um, I thought I was over it, did fine, had adverse childhood experience. Um, But when I went to counseling, it was really interesting because at the end of my counseling experience, I felt healed. And it's amazing because I tell people it was a feeling from head to toe, like I felt whole. And it's interesting because I tell people until I was whole, I didn't know I was broken. Mm. Right. I just thought I was this person going through life doing pretty well with just some things going on in the background. But the reality is, is when you become whole, then you kind of go, oh, wow. So my four-part thing that worked for me was counseling. Now, I'm not sure if in these units, you know, at the at the prisons, if, if counseling is available or if people feel comfortable with counseling. But counseling so that you have this person who is, there's no, there's no bias. This, this person doesn't know you. This is not a family member that knows your history. This is not um, a, a, a friend who knows your history. This is just an unbiased person that's, that's there to listen and to guide. So I had my counseling sessions that I would do where I would process my feelings, process what I'd been through. And I also did inner child work, which I brought up just for a snippet earlier in this session. When people have been parentified or when people have experienced trauma as children, a good thing to do can be to have 
to do inner child work. And what that means is you just take care of that kid inside of you, that little kid, and you love them and nurture them and take care of them. Journaling, which we've talked about before, why I like journaling, because it's your words, it's your writing, it's all on paper. Journaling is how you're going to explain flashbacks. It's it's how you're going to talk about the dreams that you've had. And when you write down a dream and you write down a flashback, then you write all the feelings that that go along with that. And that's going to help you kind of make sense of what happened to you. Uh, the other piece is spirituality, right? When things are hard, you've got God. When things are hard and you're trying to get through this process, going to God, having prayer, and then a self-care plan, you know, taking care of uh, working out, taking care of anxiety, you know, depression, those kind of things. So that was that was my system for healing. Well, Renee, thank you very much for that. Deacon Ronnie, for your time as well. We look forward to our other installments in this program of learning how to take care of ourselves so that we can be good parents to our children outside of incarceration. God of mercy, may our celebration of your son's resurrection help us to experience its effects in our lives. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.